0: Hello lovelies, we are the The Ladies ladies of of Strange. I'm Ashley. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Rebecca. Have you ever thought about what to do with your body after you've shuffled off this mortal coil? Or wondered if aliens are hiding in the tails of comets waiting to take us away? Or, if there's any scientific basis to the Ouija board, well, don't risk your search history and join us as we discuss the history, mystery, and theory of all things questionable, odd, and eerie. New episodes are released every Thursday and can be found wherever you get podcasts. More info about the show, including
1: show notes and links to our social media, can be found at our website, theladiesestrange.com.
2: Keep it strange, lovelies.
1: My mom has a piece of artwork from our very dear friend, an artist, on the internet. His handle is pooping rabbit. Excellent. I don't know why. I know why? Because it's amazing. <laughs> she has a piece of his artwork that's a little rabbit drawn perfectly realistically, and its little butt is a pincushion. Like in oh an God. actual rabbit, it's so cute. I have one of his kind of spooky rabbits. It looks like a Watership Down rabbit hanging in my room. Ooh.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Cool rabbit. Not not a book I ever got super into. Whoa.
1: Okay, yeah, I didn't like it when they made us read it. They, the establishment. The establishment <laughs> made us read it. <laughs> I liked it later, though.
0: You were always more into those, quote-unquote, classics than I ever was, which is why you're a lot smarter than I am. Uh, first of all, that's not true. <laughs> Here and now, folks, we're revealing the truth. <laughs> Rowan
1: Hall <laughs> is the smart one. That's a lot to live up to, and I...
0: No, if I say you're the smart one in this duo, that's not that much to live up to. You just got to be smarter than one person. You can do that. Okay,
1: well, in our English class, I campaigned to call "Tale of Two Cities, "Tale of Two Shitties, pardon you my You did French. do that in a presentation. In a... Oh, no, did I? hmm Okay, so that's where we're at. That's how I feel about the classics. No, I'm just kidding. We have a podcast about classics. I'm so sorry no one come for me. Hi by the way, I'm Rowan Hall. Hi by the way, I'm Tracy Harrison. And this is the Willing and Fable podcast, a podcast where we talk about ancient myths, local legends,
0: and classic literature for sure. For sure. We did have one classic literature episode. And only one of us covered genuine classic literature, and that was you.
1: And you didn't sorry. even you
0: covered the author
1: frankenstein yeah yeah i i had my moment and did i live up to it
0: yeah absolutely yeah you did go listen to uh our episode on early horror it's very good
1: listen here's the thing my dad who's amazing and listens to our podcast sent me pictures of awkward young me and he i think was being very sweet but I was very embarrassed for my former self. And so I channeled that into listening to our early podcast episodes. And past me, from even, you know, mere months ago, she could do better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She's doing great. I've loved her every step of the way. I refuse, unless I'm forced to, to listen to early episodes of this podcast Because I feel (laughs) so I was just telling Rowan, a friend of mine from college just started listening and she started from the beginning. And I was like, may I suggest that you don't do that? And she was like, absolutely not. She's like, no skipsies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The division of labor in this podcast is that you edit and I do marketing stuff. So I have to listen to old episodes and you basically never do.
0: No, I just have to listen to every episode twice once when we record it and once when i edit it and then i never think about it again
1: you guys would have no way of knowing this but i'm gonna tell you immediately before we started recording tracy did something mildly frustrating that i also do and i just went i love you while shaking my fist yeah i asked her if it was
0: a threat (laughs) I did my usual, I thought one thing a few weeks ago and then I thought about it and changed my mind and very casually was like, I changed my mind on this thing. And she was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) You thought something else a while ago.
1: I'm not here to judge. I do it all the time. That's why I say I love you instead of being legitimately (laughs) frustrated. I just, hey, if someone you love does something frustrating, just convince them that, I love you is a threat. Oh my God, that's so scary. No. It was genuinely a little bit like, what do I do? (laughs) Keeping you on
0: your toes. Your tone says, I'm angry. Your words are very
1: endearing. But isn't that kind of the best way to operate? Like my favorite move, my favorite move, if someone is being genuinely crummy, like really not being a great person, is to you know say call out what they're doing or say something you know a little less than ideal but in a really sweet voice
0: one of my favorite things to do is the opposite which is the second someone gets a compliment so if someone's like oh my god Rowan I love your hair I without missing a beat jump in and go don't listen to her she's just trying to get in your head it's better than that <laughs>
1: I remember when you first started doing that and I had to tell the people around us what you were doing. (laughs) And now I do it. It's so funny because if you
0: frame it as like, they're getting in your head, you're better than that. Don't let them get to you.
1: (laughs) You're better at that than I am because I do that. And unless I'm around you or like really sarcastic people we grew up with, someone will say something nice to someone and I'll just go, "Mm, probably not. And... You know, that's not quite as obviously a
0: joke. Yeah, it's got to be hardcore. you got to be like, I'm on your side, man. I'm fighting this fight with you. You can't let them get in your head. They're just trying to mess with you. Like, just a clear, like, (laughs) it's not funny. Here's the thing, though. It's only funny to me.
1: You're nagging everyone. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? I love a good nag. Are you kidding? Oh, my God. Is that why we're friends? Like, I I like it. I just stuck around.
0: <laughs> You're like, ooh, yeah, ooh.
1: <laughs> I was going to say neg me, daddy, and now I have to quit the podcast. All right. We're going to redo the opening. Hi, I'm Rowan Hall. It's only Rowan Hall, and I'm going to be discussing. <laughs> it's going great, everyone. <laughs> Do you want to tell people what we're talking
0: about this week, other than negging?
1: Right. Yes. Uh, for sure. Uh, hi. Um, actually, what this episode is about? Uh, it's our last "Stories from the Sea" episode. It's our last sponsored episode. Um, mm-hmm. having a sponsored episode is exactly the opposite of being negged. Uh, it's it's <laughs> basically having someone come around and be nice to you, which is so cool. Uh, this episode is sponsored by White Light Productions, Sea Glass Jewelry, and. They asked us to do a series of stories inspired by the ocean and all of the goodness that comes from that. And then they sent us beautiful jewelry presents.
0: Oh, my God. Go check out our Instagram to see a picture of my little gift bag. I had to mm. do an aesthetic
1: layout picture of all of them. I'm really intrigued that you basically have three of the same color lip gloss. I know. I I, um...
0: I can't justify it, and I can't explain it, because I also don't really wear lip gloss.
1: It's okay. I'm coming over soon, and I will take one of those lip glosses. Uh, Usually, when I go over to visit Tracy, I bring her, well, actually, jewelry, to be honest, and then I steal her makeup. (laughs) 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 And that's how it goes. So that's how it goes. I have no jewelry to offer you this time, Tracy. You got jewelry already. White Light Productions did did that. I'm just going to take your makeup. Because they already gave you presents. (laughs) You know, that sounds like a fair trade. uh, And I'm into it. So, our last sponsored episode in this three-part series, we chose to do more fantastic women from the water. Because not only do we love a strong theme, we love a strong sub-theme. And we love a strong woman. And this week, we're doing... Pirate women. <laughs> yeah, we never really intended to
0: make this series all about ladies of mythology, but it ended up working out that way. And it just felt right because um, all the jewelry we got from our sponsor makes us feel, at least Rowan, I can genuinely say it makes me feel like a super beautiful badass woman. So mm-hmm. it feels right for the energy of these episodes.
1: Right, yeah, kind of the idea that... Whoever you are, whatever you're doing, you can be pretty while you're doing it if you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, I know that because we're talking about shiny, beautiful things and pirates, I'm supposed to make uh, a booty joke here, but I'm not going to do it. I will not instead hope that you enjoyed our series uh, and that it has made you as excited as us about White Light Productions Seaglass Jewelry. Uh, It's been our pleasure to partner with them. Guys, they are super eco-conscious. They are Mm -hmm. made in America and they create affordable sterling silver jewelry. So, no predictable pirate jokes, but all of the love.
0: And if you decide to go shopping for presents with our friends at White Light Productions Seaglass Jewelry, Please use the discount code that they so kindly provided for our listeners. That's WFFALL10 for 10% off your order. Head to Seaglass.us. That's S-E-A-G-L-A-S-S dot U-S. And guys, thank you for supporting Friends of the Pod and for making us seriously seems super cool while you do it so
1: yeah it really does mean a lot to us that you've been so supportive and a couple of our lovely listeners have reached out about you know how nice it is that we even have a sponsorship so thank you guys friends of the pod meet other friends of the pod we're happy to have you all so about piracy yeah when that term is bandied about most people think of what is called the golden age of piracy To quote our dear, dear friend Wikipedia, that was the period between the 1650s and the 1730s when maritime piracy was a significant factor in the histories of the Caribbean, the United Kingdom, Indian Ocean states, North America, and West Africa.
0: Piracy is defined as an act of robbery or criminal violence by ship or boat-borne attackers upon another ship or coastal area typically with the goal of stealing cargo and other valuable items or properties. And the earliest act of piracy dates back to the 14th century B.C. Piracy looks different all across the world, and a Caribbean pirate in the 1650s may have an entirely different culture and set of codes than a 1570s East Asian pirate.
1: This golden age of piracy can be broken down into the Buccaneering period from 1650 to 1680, the Pirate Round from 1693 to 1700, and the Post-Spanish Secession period from 1715 to 1726. Well, that is all well and good. Modern media seems to forget that, and again I'm quoting Wikipedia, The earliest documented instances of piracy are the exploits of the Sea Peoples who threatened the ships sailing in the Aegean and Mediterranean waters in the 14th century BC. In classical antiquity, the Phoenicians, Illyrians, and Tyrrhenians were known as pirates. In the pre-classical era, the ancient Greeks condoned piracy as a viable profession. It apparently was widespread and regarded as an entirely honorable way of making a living. References are made to its perfectly normal occurrence in many texts, including Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, and abduction of women and children to be sold into slavery was common. By the era of classical Greece, piracy was looked upon as a disgrace to have as a profession. Thucydides wrote,
0: For in early times, the Hellenes and the barbarians of the coast and islands, as communication by sea became more common, were tempted to turn pirate. Indeed, this came to be the main source of their livelihood, no disgrace being yet attached to such an achievement, but even some glory.
1: You may have heard people talk about pirates versus privateers and wondered what the difference was. A privateer, or corsair, used similar methods to pirates, but they acted under the orders of the state. They had possession of a letter of marquee and reprisal from a government or monarch, which authorized them to capture merchant ships belonging to an enemy nation. This meant that a privateer could not be charged with piracy while in possession of the letter of marquee, though Ultimately, it was dependent upon who was accusing the individual of piracy and whether they deemed the letter legitimate. Spanish authorities were known for executing privateers with their letters of marquee hung around their necks. Brutal. So, yeah, if you thought that was a get-out-of-jail-free card, you were mistaken. Not to mention, pirates through the ages were much more then Errol Flynn swashbuckling across the silver screen. The generic Halloween costume of pirate completely overlooks the Vikings, the Ottoman Corsairs, the piracy in East Asia during the Ming Dynasty, the Kalerani who accepted the royal pardon to serve in the Chola Navy in South Asia. The list goes on and on. And in fact, in many cases, being a pirate had more to do with slave trading than buried treasure.
0: Despite the hard life and usually fairly mundane capturing of sundries and goods rather than riches, piracy during the Golden Age was thought to be more egalitarian than any other employment at the time. The quartermaster's sole purpose was to serve as a balance to the ship's captain, even vetoing his orders.
1: Though we would like to, we cannot cover all of the wealth of information surrounding this famous period of piracy. So, we recommend you watch the Stars show Black Sails, which was four seasons of all the theatrical goodness you could possibly want, mixed with deep dives into some of the moral issues surrounding piracy and colonialism beginning in 1715. And while you do that, hop over to the Fathom's Deep podcast. They are close pod friends of ours. They cover every single episode of the show and even have interviews with various cast and crew members, and you will get more than your fair share of piratey goodness.
0: But in the meantime, today we're discussing two famous women of piracy. Women have existed in piracy for as long as piracy itself has existed, but remember this. During the golden age of piracy, and on, women were considered bad luck on ships. Although some women did don disguises and climb on board in order to take advantage of the rights, privileges, and freedoms only available to them through piracy. So with that said, let's dive into two stories of women who took piracy to the next level.
1: And I shouldn't have to stipulate this by now because y'all have been here for a minute, but we are... Doing Pirate Pirates, not the Disney version of Pirates, so buckle up or get out. Uh Uh-huh, yep, this is
0: gonna be legit. We're not gonna hold back on the reality of these stories, Uh, but you wouldn't want us to, so let's just get into it.
1: Alright, my story this week is Anne Bonny... And the fearsome threesome of the high seas.
0: (laughs) I am so excited. When we decided we wanted to do Pirates, Rowan immediately jumped on and said, I want Anne Bonny.
1: Okay, so a little just personal backstory before I get into it. I went to a performing arts college my sophomore year. I was graduating from one campus and moving across the country, same school, different campus. And we had stage combat class as one of our major classes, which is kind of the reason to go to a conservatory school. You get sword fighting, basically, as a Mm -hmm. major credit. (laughs) Um, So the last stage combat class of that year, they host a giant battle that they choreograph for your entire section to fight Mm -hmm. together. (laughs) And... Our amazing teachers assigned me and this other girl to be Anne Bonnie, and Mary Reed. And it was a pirate ship fighting off the British Navy as our Mm -hmm. giant battle. And I truly cannot remember which woman I was playing, uh, but I got to kill a Navy sailor with his own sword. And it doesn't get more badass than that. It doesn't. No.
0: So, nope, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's so cool. You were having sword fights while I was slaving away on code at three in the morning. That's so cool.
1: Well, oh, yeah, I, that was really fun. <laughs> that was a really fun class. And it was, uh, you know, it was just for fun. The entire purpose of it was for us all to just feel really cool. Because when you're doing stage combat, one of the joys is actually not to be the killer. It's to be the dyer because Mm. you make that... The the victim is the word I was looking for. uh, Because you make that person look so freaking cool when you die dramatically. Yeah, that is
0: true. Did they do a good job? Did you look super cool?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think I ended up... I fought with a rapier. I always fight with a rapier in everything uh, for some reason. And I think I stole his short sword and, uh, stabbed him with it, like, psycho-style, like, <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Nothing to do with the actual history, but she always holds a place in my heart because of that. So, I am proud of my title. Because even though this was supposed to be me just covering Anne Bonnie specifically— we're actually going to talk about the most famous thruple in all of piracy, Anne Bonnie, Mary Reed, and Calico Jack Rackham. Tracy, be honest, have you ever heard three names more perfect for, like, decades of spicy literature that would come after this?
0: No, honestly, I, I was like, well, let me look through them. Like, what would I change? I would change literally nothing. It's perfect.
1: Alright, so I hope you're ready for some humor. On my podcast,
0: no goofs or gaffs. Not allowed. How dare you!
1: (laughs) Alright, we're going to start with a story, and then I'm going to go into the real history, because I have a lot to say. The sun was shining, the seas were spraying, and the crew's blood ran Hot. The illustrious pirate John Calico Jack Rackham, with his fair hair and fine dress, stood at the prow of one of the fastest sloops on the high seas, a ship from New Providence packed with four cannons and two swivel guns and the once dull name of the William. Of course, it was speedily rechristened the Pirate Ship Revenge. A parrot flew in the drafts overhead, squawking a yo Yo-Ho, yoho" shanty. Each and every one of the ship's twelve men were freshly washed, and exactly the right amount of rugged to seem appealingly edgy but not at all creepy. Everyone smelled like a salty Caribbean morning, and not one single person aboard suffered from scurvy or a venereal disease of any kind. Or. that's how she'd remember it. The Boston Gazette reported that these pirates swear destruction to all those who belong to this island. But truly, they swear destruction to the whole world. For they are the fearsome enemies to the crown of Great Britain. Aboard said thrilling ship was none other than the soon-to-be-famed pirate queen Anne Bonney. She'd recently jumped ship, as it were, from her former pirate husband turned pirate hunting privateer. With the pirate code of snitches get stitches replaying over and over in her head, Anne went to the bars of Nassau and discovered her new criminal lover. Jack wooed her with riches and strong bad-boy energy, and very soon Anne was pleading with her husband James Bonney to have a wife sale, in which he would, in fact, sell his wife to a new man. But he would not. So she went to the very governor of Nassau, Woods Rogers himself, but he threatened to throw her in jail for her loose behavior. Yes, it was loose, but by whose standards? This is Nassau, after all. Anyway, in August of 1720, Anne and Jack flipped them the bird and went off to sea where the marriages of the land had no power. Being captain of a ship, Jack was able to perform his own marriage ceremony. And so it was. Anne, sailing aboard the Revenge, feared pirate man by day, smoking hot lady pirate by night. Anne often found herself thinking, That man is pirate poetry in motion. As he strode across the long length of the ship, the bright brass buckles on his shoes shone in the sun, the silken stockings he wore— no matter the heat, flattering every curve of his calf. After all, this is the man who famously said, his methods for courting a woman or taking a ship were similar, no time wasted, straight up alongside, every gun brought to play and prize boarded. So, Boring and jealous turncoat James, tossed aside by his pirate wife, began to chase her across the high seas while she enjoyed her time with her new husband, robbing and sailing and shooting and, um, sleeping. But there was another intriguing gentleman aboard the ship, separate from the Twelve who populated the background for atmosphere and realism, This sailor, Mark Reed, could beat any man with his seafaring skill, and he fought like a tiger out of a cage. And he was also super handsome, but in, like, the kind of pretty super sensitive way, you know? Anne trailed him around the ship. And they were getting along like gangbusters, drinking rum, counting jewels, making people walk the plank, until one day... Anne followed Mark into a storeroom. Closing the door behind them, she ripped off her shirt, exposing her breasts and her secret, saying that she loved Mark Reed and must have him. Well, no sooner had one woman disrobed than another followed. Mark Reed was actually Mary Reed, another young woman who'd spent her youth disguised as her deceased half-brother, and therefore she'd grown accustomed to the freedom that came with manhood. But in that storeroom that day, those pirate women were pretty pleased with what womanhood had to offer. Well, Jack was a jealous man he saw that Anne and this Mark fellow, who couldn't even grow a beard, were growing closer by the second. One night, he crept below deck to where Mark slept and found him entwined with his wife, sound asleep. Well, the calico captain put his knife to the man's neck, waking him with the threat of death. Having learned... A valuable lesson from the first encounter. Mary Reed, again, exposed her breasts, revealing her secret. Calico Jack was uh, impressed with the size of her secret and agreed to allow the women's tryst. So long as he was invited to the party. And thus, the ship revenge, once seemingly crewed entirely by men, gained Two women, openly pirating as themselves. Conveniently, while this newly formed threesome of the high seas experienced smooth sailing, feared Captain Charles Vane was kindly dispatching James Bonney. Suddenly, the world was their oyster. The ship revenge traveled the ocean, striking fear into the heart of any captain that saw their skull and cross-sword flag billowing in the wind. On October 1st, Anne and Mary would lead the charge against the crew of two merchant ships not far from Hispaniola. They stole a cargo worth what would today be $183,000. And that's just one balmy afternoon. On October 19th, Jack would use the clever trick of flying a British flag to entreat another merchant ship to come closer and share some punch. Captain Thomas Splenlow would live to see himself made a fool after they killed some of his men and stole $2,500 worth of goods. The next day, off Jamaica, the merchant ship Mary would deliver the pirates another $37,000 worth of goods. Sure, they lost a few other crew members, but they were just extras after all. How did they sell the goods for money? Stop asking! That's not the story I'm telling. Imagine it as shining chests of gold and think about this. Having learned the neat trick of flashing their own chests to save their lives, Anne and Mary had taken to performing the shocking act to stop their enemies in their tracks. Then, they killed them, robbed them, and went on their merry way. In only a few months, the fearsome trio was famous across the wide world for their success— putting pirate hunter Jonathan Barnett hot on their trail. By the time the revenge docked on a hidden shore near Negrils Bay, Jamaica, Jack was sauntering around so proud of his own genius that he believed their luck would never run out. But the women knew better. As everyone drank and partied that faithful night, Anne and Mary stood watching in seething silence. So it was that they saw Barnett come to capture them. They sounded the alarm, Anne crying, If there's a man among you, you'll come up and fight like the man you are to be. But Jack ordered their retreat below deck. Alright, so this is a bummer, but the feared pirates were captured and thrown in a Jamaican prison. On the 18th of November, having been found guilty of piracies, felonies, and robberies committed by them on the high sea, Jack and his crew were hung. The captain's fine form was put out as a warning to all pirates of what happens when you sail against the crown. Anne believed it a better warning against men. Just before his execution, She was permitted to see her pirate husband one last time. He lay in the dank Jamaican cell, weeping up at her with puppy dog eyes. And she kind of realized that without the fashion and the black eyeliner, the whole thing just didn't work, you know? Anne said, I'm sorry to see you here, but if you had fought like a man, you need not have been hanged like a dog. Anne and Mary were clever enough to halt their own execution, pointing out that they were quick with child. Turns out that wasn't a lie. After a presumably awful examination, it was proven that they were both in their second trimester and must be permitted to have their innocent babies, and then they would be hung as pirates. The pair were separated into cells so far that they never saw one another again. Mary died some months later, because giving birth in a disgusting cell without the invention of modern medicine will get you every time. But, as for Anne Bonny, pirate queen of the high seas? We do not know. We just, we don't know. Wherever she went... We hope that there were chests and chests of gold there.
0: So I love that story. I've heard some of those details before, which leads to my question being is any of that true?
1: Yeah, I never thought that I would be telling a story on this podcast in the language of sarcasm. Um, But here we are. It had a vibe. It had a, it had, a, it had an energy to it that was definitely
0: leading me to ask that question.
1: Exactly. I am so heated this week. I I was tamping it down, but we're here now. We're at the point where I get to talk about this. I am so mad about Anne Bonnie and Mary Read and Jack Rackham and piracy and, you know, just everything, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um hmm and i think this is one of the few instances in which history does not provide oh so the rea- it's one of those
0: where the reality is like i guess really disappointing but i had heard so many of those like story beats about ann bonnie before are you going to just like rip that out of my arms
1: the answer is yes i'm going to rip them from your arms cruel <laughs> You know what? History is going to provide, but it's going to provide us a scandal, and it's not what I wanted. So, uh, here we go. Okay. It's it's fascinating. You just you just sit down, and you're already sitting. You just stay sitting. Almost all of the information that the entire world uses to base their stories on Anne Bonny and the Thrupples' exploits comes from one book. I'm going to quote... Tony Bartlemy's article titled The True and False Stories of Anne Bonny, Pirate Woman of the Caribbean. It was published by the Pulitzer Prize-winning paper called The Post and Courier. It is a great read. Quote, It begins in 1724. That year, a London publisher printed A General History of the Pirates with the intriguing subtitle With the remarkable actions and adventures of two female pirates, Mary Reed and Anne Bonney.
0: And you guys can't see this because this is an audio format, but it is spelled
1: P-Y-R-A-T-E-S. Petition to bring that back.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. It's like that fantasy thing where you add Ys where there aren't Ys.
1: Yeah, this book uh, is a bit of fantasy. Uh, Continuing the quote. Its author was someone named Captain Charles Johnson though no evidence has surfaced that a writer by this name existed. Pen names were common then, and much later, and with no hard evidence, a historian pinned the work on Daniel Defoe, who'd written Robinson Crusoe*. The historian's case was based on Defoe's interest in pirates. This was thin ice, but historians skated on it anyway, until encyclopedias cited Defoe as the author. More recently, historians have suggested that a London publisher named Nathaniel Mist penned the book. Mist ran a weekly newspaper that often ran stories about pirates, and he was a former sailor. But again, evidence is circumstantial at best. End quote. So that will give you some idea... Of the kind of cold, hard facts we're dealing with here. I also want to point out, while we're kind of early in the naming situation of this reality, it's a good story for names. Like, Nathaniel Mist? Are you
0: kidding me? It sounds like a YA novel protagonist. Yeah. Nathaniel Mist. Actually, it sounds like a YA novel character who turns out to be the villain like you mm. thought he was your friend and then he's really the villain
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. i like it mm-hmm. so this book did so well that the author published a second edition with to quote captain johnson himself considerable additions in this, he added more details about Anne Bonnie while simultaneously apologizing that this second edition would be more expensive than the first, <laughs> acknowledging criticism for the first run that included that his book seems calculated to entertain and divert. Johnson said in response that if readers found it entertaining, quote, we hope it will not be imputed as a fault, but as to its credit. Now, we love a good story here at this podcast, but he was playing real fast and loose with reality.
0: That Herodotus thing. Here for a mm-hmm. good story, not a real story.
1: Yes. It was Johnson that set Anne Bonnie's childhood in Ireland around 1697-ish, daughter of an unnamed lawyer who was not particularly adept at staying true to his wife. He slept with his maid. His wife was so jealous she accused her of stealing. The maid's pregnancy with Anne got her out of jail, and Anne's father then took his daughter away to Carolina, presumably Charleston, to hide from the fallout. Anne, a fiery red-headed child once accused of murdering a young boy, Hmm, big yikes. Would grow up to run away with pirate James Bonney to the Bahamas. So this, is this still
0: believed to be true, or is this the the believed fiction that was created for her
1: backstory? This is the believed fiction. Okay, okay. There, James Bonney would switch sides and become a privateer hunting pirates. Anne, angered by him being such a little snitch found Calico Jack Rackham. His supposed nickname, given due to his fondness for Calico clothing, was never listed in any of the court transcripts from the revenge's trial, despite the numerous nicknames appearing for other pirates. In fact, our swarthy friend often went by just John Rackham. Which, while good, is not calico great. So he was just he was just John Rackham? He
0: wasn't even Maybe. like like Jack Rackham. Like Jack Rackham. Jack Rack. Like that Jack Rackham. Like that's a good <laughs> that flows well. Yes. He didn't even he didn't even do
1: Jack Rackham. He was just like, Hi, I'm John. We we don't know about the Jack situation, but there are still court transcripts from their trials, and just calico, it was not in there.
0: (sighs) You really did give me a gift, and now you're just taking it back.
1: Oh, you just wait. This is take-backsies for sure. Sources love to disagree about Anne's youth and how she came to Nassau. Was she that angry spitfire of a girl who went on to follow a pirate her father disapproved of to the Bahamas? Or did her adulterous father move her from Ireland to London to Charleston, changing her gender presentation based on what would keep them from the most scandal? Would a, quote, very young Anne then make it to the Bahamas by recruiting a woman named Anne Fullworth to pose as her mother? Would she eventually engage in sex work? And does the person telling the story think that sex work makes her more sexually appealing? Or are they stomping their feet about it like puritanical non-pirates? It is all up for debate. Mm. Whether our pirate babe landed on these shores with the possible married name of Bonnie or her possible maiden name of Full Ford, nothing to be confused with her fake mom, Anne (laughs) Fullworth, this is where the pirate fun of the story actually does kick into gear. Of Anne's prowess on a ship, Captain Johnson wrote, no person amongst them was more resolute were ready to board or undertake anything that was hazardous okay so we're going to join up with the story that i told you it's very dramatic lots of sailing and stealing everyone is captured and delivers seething last words to jack and poor mary dies okay captain johnson leaves us with these words what has become of her since we cannot tell only this we know she was not executed but we don't actually know that she wasn't executed. Wait, really? So the one thing that we go, here's the only thing we know,
0: she didn't die. Except we don't know that. Except our liar book dude wrote that. Like he would have done better to just make up his own original character at this point. Like he did do that, it sounds like.
1: He really did. All we know know for sure is that a woman going by the name Anne Bonny, but was also called Anne Fulford and Bon was alive in the early 1700s lived in the Bahamas for a while joined a pirate crew captained by John Rackham and probably operated with Mary/ Mark Reed for most of her career it also seems that her womanhood as well as Mary's, was very well known amongst the folks at sea rather than being hidden.
0: Hmm, Okay. So less of that like pretending to be a man sneaking on ship, and really just being like,
1: "Hi, I'm a lady on the ship. Hey, pants are convenient.
0: <laughs> pants
1: are convenient. <laughs> Hot take.) <laughs> <laughs> We have no idea if she was involved in one of the most notorious sexual threesomes in storybook history. Or if they each had their own thing going on. And we certainly don't know whether she lived on after being locked in a Jamaican prison for piracy. Think about this. Anne arrived in Nassau sometime between 1718 or 1719. Jack Rackham was hanged on November 18th, 1720. And then the Jamaican court found she and Mary Reed guilty of piracy on November 28th, 1720. Burial records from St. Catherine, Jamaica noted Mary Reed's death on April 28th, 1721. And nothing is known about Anne after that. At most, at most, this spicy story took place over the course of four years, with a fair chunk of it being two women sitting in jail until one probably dies from either childbirth or fever. Hangings are newsworthy and dramatic, Childbirth from pirates who were previously flashing their bare breasts while waving a pistol in one hand and a sword in the other completely lack sex appeal. So, of course, everyone jumped in to fill in the blanks with tragic backstories and mysterious endings and sexy love affairs. I will argue you about the, the dying in childbirth,
0: the pirate women. I mean, I think that's pretty sexy.
1: (laughs) It's compelling, (laughs) but it's not two women being locked in a storeroom, Shakespearean style thinking one is a man, but then non-Shakespearean style still going for it anyway. Yeah, it is not that. I mean, you're not wrong. It's not that. David Victim. Another really good name an academically trained historian who was also quoted in the Post and Courier article that was so, so lovely, he has his own blog called Colonies, Ships and Pirates. In it, he basically debunks the entire fiction of this story, and I would argue that this historian's website is a piracy must read if you want provable history. He says... The portrayal of Bonnie and Reed by Johnson falls in line with the literary traditions of the early 18th century and presents a significant amount of insight into some of the era's perceptions of sex and gender. This story of two disguised female pirates intersects well with the period's literary traditions of tales concerning warrior women, biographies of female criminals, and long stories about cross-dressing ladies. Johnson's account repeatedly used the bodies of these women, particularly their breasts, in a significant and symbolic manner for his narrative. Female breasts held a strong position as symbols of womanhood, domesticity, and maternity during the 18th century. The fictional versions of these women used attire to disguise and challenge the standard boundaries of their gender adhered to during that period. However, these boundaries return immediately when the two women revealed their sex through their bodies. Johnson used their bodies to both excite the audience and to prevent them from completely overcoming their traditional role in society. Okay, based on that quote
0: alone, I want to go read everything he's written. He's fantastic. Yeah, it just put into sh- such sharp perspective like oh yeah that's exactly what he did
1: there's a reason that the two female pirates were on the cover of the book it was a book disguised as history that everyone could get their hands on and read fiction there were no other pirates in that book who had as extensively described a backstory as these two women
0: Mm, He really just created his own OCs and slapped them into a book about history, huh?
1: Yes! (laughs) Which... Which... Okay. We're not pleased. But we could point to that and be like, Ah, that silly man from history doing his thing to make money. That's that's a bummer. But it kept going. (laughs) (laughs) So... David Victim also points out in his piece that quote, the first known publication to directly claim the two engaged in a lesbian relationship appeared to come from an article entitled "Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed: They Killed Pricks," published in 1974 and written by feminist Susan Baker. Joe Stanley claimed in 1995 that the court in Jamaica used the insinuation of lesbianism to worsen the two's reputations and improve the likeliness of a conviction at their trial. As there are no first-hand accounts of any lady love or polyamory of any kind, we have no way of knowing for sure. I want that for them. I do. But we have no way of knowing. And we do, again, have those court transcripts in which witnesses say, I saw these two women on this pirate ship. They were not captives. They were participating. No one at that trial needed to accuse them of being lesbians to get them hung for piracy. It was frowned upon to hang women at the time. Mm. But the governor of Jamaica was vehemently anti-pirate because people kept stealing his goods. He was trying to set an example. There was no way these women were going to live.
0: I could see someone trying to put it in for good measure to really solidify in people's minds that they, you know, look how bad they are. They did this and this and this and this and, you know, like piling it on so there's no arguing your way out of Hanging them. I also think it's a very strong 70s, mid-70s feminist energy to be like, Thank now you. Now they're lesbians.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think given the dates that this information is coming out, I'm I'm not buying what they're selling.
0: No, I mean it's the same thing of that was around the same time. They came out with the the great goddess theory. Like that was just that was a, a wave of feminism that really looked back to history and tried to reframe things and didn't always do it in a way that reflects reality.
1: Which is funny because actually a lot of things even to this day need reframing to encompass more of queer culture but like this ain't it. And to be clear I'm not saying that they weren't a couple or a throuple. Like I want, truly I want that for them because it sounds exciting and like cool piracy but we just don't know and that's the difference. Mm -hmm. But Everyone got in on the Anne Bonnie fiction as history fun. Uh, in the 1960s, John Carlova wrote the book Mistress of the Seas. By the way, are we noting these titles? Are we noticing a trend?
0: <laughs> Mistress of the Seas sounds like what you would call your bodice ripper story.
1: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. There's there's right? more. Carlova claimed that he used extensive archival research from Jamaica and the U.K. in his writings. And in this version of her life, William Cormac and Peg Brennan were her parents. He described Anne leaving the Jamaican prison to live on her days in Virginia, remarried with eight children running thither and thither, None of the supposed sources for this book have ever surfaced. In 2007, a book by Constance Bonn and Tamara Eastman just switched the name of Anne Bonny's mother to Mary Brennan because one Mary per story isn't enough. Never enough and, Marys. No, there are never enough Marys. And they added that Anne lived to the ripe old age of 84. Author David Cordingly continued the narrative of her Virginia husband, apparently named James Burley. Mm-hmm. Sure, at this point, why not? huh? This amalgam of historical probably fiction made it into the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography, which is the national record of men and women who shaped British history. And, and, when Cordingly put it in there... He cited, quote, family papers in the collection of descendants, which, to the best of my searching, do not seem to be available to anyone but him. In his 2001 book, which was retitled to Seafaring Women, Adventures of Pirate Queens, Female Stowaways, and Sailor's Wives, Accordingly tells the story of William Cormac, Anne's father, managing to get Anne released from prison. Okay, sure. She went back with him to Charleston, married Joe, Mm -hmm. had all those babies.
0: Right, right, right. As is her duty. Uh Uh-huh.
1: And then the couple also tracked down a boy that Anne had conceived with Rackham and left in Cuba, named John. Again, in this story, Anne lived until 1782, dying at the old for a pirate age of 84.
0: Okay. Sure, at this point... At this point, I'm broken, so why not?
1: There are thoughts from legitimate historians, notably David Victim, that Anne might have conceived a child with Jack Rackham uh, that lived, possibly. Again, we don't know. The idea that her father, who was supposedly a wealthy landowner in Charleston, had enough influence in Jamaica to get his pirate daughter out of prison, or that he would even want to, is movie-worthy. And l- listen, y- we're talking about famed pirate queen Anne Bonny. You'd think if anyone had these detailed first-hand sources they talk about that they'd be throwing them around like confetti. And just nothing, huh? Just absolutely just not so much. We got court transcripts, we got a couple like things that we can rely on, but it ain't it ain't that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) the sexy literal bodice ripping version of this story and i'm using literal correctly yeah uh it made it into the smithsonian magazine (sighs) so you think that there has to be some history to back this up right 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 there has to be i lied that
0: broke me that one broke me i wasn't (laughs) broken earlier i was a whole person now i'm broken that broke me that got
1: me It makes me not trust sources ever, Um, which is not a good place to be. No. Historians and writers love to bandy around anecdotes of people who might have been Anne's father in Charleston. But everyone's favorite one has his name spelled differently, and the dates really just don't match up quite right. There's also an Anne Bonney listed in a 1728 will in which she stands to inherit a small amount of wealth, a feather bed, and an enslaved person named Lucy. The stipulation of every granddaughter's inheritance in that will is that, quote, they do not marry with sailors. While this is a fascinating look, into the past. And um, it is uh, interesting to imagine a slaveholding grandma <laughs> trying to stop sexy Queen Anne Bonnie from marrying a sailor of any kind. Um, we have no reason to think that the Anne in that will is our pirate Anne. And the notion that she would be completely obliterates the idea that she married James Bonnie to get her name. Yeah, that does
0: that does kind of hinder that theory, huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> David Victim <laughs> once said of all the rigmarole surrounding Anne Bonnie and the fearsome threesome, "I can't emphasize enough." that some historians are just as culpable as fiction writers for perpetuating the mythos. Allowing embellishments makes historical studies practically meaningless. Now, Tracy, I have one last sad bit of info to debunk. And I saved it for last because I'm really, really sorry to do it. There is no evidence that Mary Reed or Anne Bonney had any sailing ability at all. While they did dress in men's clothing and seemed to wield pistols and swords during some encounters as described by witnesses, there's no evidence that they actually engaged in close combat or that they fired any of the ship's guns. Based on reports of Bonnie, it was likely that the pair operated as powder monkeys, bringing gunpowder to the crew members operating the ship's large munitions. This was a job that women at sea had at that time, and uh, the other job that women on ships had at the time was garment repair and laundry and it was very likely that they wore women's clothes while they did it i i want you all to know i hate doing laundry i really do and i recognize that it is a heroic task to be sure especially without Washing machines and there is nothing wrong with dressing like a lady if you want to. And to go from hyper-sexualized queer piracy to less sensational romance is a bummer. But to lose the badass, sword-fighting, pistol-shooting coolness of these women hurt my heart. It really did. And whatever... I haven't said anything because I'm just so
0: shocked she is so we when we decided to do this episode reached out to our mythic level patrons because we like to pull them for what they're interested in and she was the first name that came up for so many people when we said like name your favorite pirate she's like the cool pirate and she wasn't a pirate she wasn't even like a sword wielding badass fighting lady well-
1: no okay okay wait hold on they mary reed and Anne bonnie were pirates they were okay. definitely pirates even if they were mostly pirate seamstresses they were still super cool women on the seas committing acts of piracy by virtue of even being on that ship they were not captives it's just possible that they like mostly were sewing and cleaning and carrying gunpowder
0: yeah i guess i just thought of them you know like the history makes it seem like they are they were like almost captain level of how powerful they were on the ships and their influence and and all of that like
1: i remember for years for years when i was younger i thought that they both were ship captains like yeah. My brain just made that the truth. Yeah. Actually, Black Sales talks about this a lot, and the Fathoms Deep podcast talks about this a lot, but it was basically the job of the colonial powers at the time to turn pirates into monsters. Mm-hmm. Because frankly, pirates were stealing their goods and they had no other way to transport them. And the pirates We're doing the democracy thing long before everyone else, meaning everyone else like the British, the Mm -hmm. Spanish, not literally everyone on the planet. So it makes sense that these women were turned into big, bad lady pirates that weren't following the rules. And then, of course, some author with a cool Captain pen name came along and was like, "Uh uh-huh, make it sexy. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, all of history was like, make it sexier until we hit the 70s when it got queer. Which, again, it could have been queer all along. They could have been badass all along. It's just as likely that it wasn't. And they weren't.
0: You know, you built me up real high there. Uh Uh-huh. Brought me up. Uh Took me up on that roller coaster. Yeah. And then dropped me down real hard. Right on my butt. Just right, knock me on my ass.
1: I have made a decision for myself about Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed that is just, you know, my own personal head headcanon. Mm-hmm. The headcanon is this. Okay, even if he doesn't have the name Calico Jack, I'm still going to go with Jack was probably a son of a gun. Just just a fair assumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm still going to go with that they were both badass ladies because Mary Reed was... Uh, she supposedly was in the military for a minute. Hmm. The British military. So I'm going to go with maybe they weren't the one true sailor, but they knew their way around a ship a little. And I'm going to go with if they were holding a pistol and a sword, they probably occasionally use them. I'm also going to say that... uh As the women aboard the ship in a time in which there was a very clear distinction between men's and women's roles, that they may have been cleaning a fair amount. And they may have been encouraging men to participate in things like bathing. (laughs) Yeah, and I've decided that they were badass.
0: I mean, you have to imagine, for them bucking the norms of society so hard, they have to be a certain level of badass. To even do the bare minimum of be on a pirate ship sewing clothes. Like, if you do put it in perspective of what was expected of them at the time, that is pretty bold.
1: And we are fussing at 70s feminism a bit. But it is reasonable to say that two women who are choosing for parts of their life to present themselves as a different gender Mm -hmm. may not have been the most heteronormative you're not wrong it's also reasonable to say that based on other evidence not this particular story that sailors and pirates were also not always the most aggressively heterosexual no i didn't
0: I I ran out of time when doing this, my research for my side of the story that I didn't get a look into it, but there's definitely some evidence out there that pirates were not the most heteronormative.
1: So I think that leaves me. I'm comfortable with saying...
0: I think I had to go through the grieving process for Anne Bonny. I think that I'm now at acceptance, but I had to go through denial, bargaining... Anger? I don't know. What are the other steps?
1: I don't know. 2020 (laughs) left me (laughs) with (laughs) no steps. There are no more steps. Um, Fair. I don't know. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry, but this is how it is. Well, I can tell you
0: the story of a super badass lady who did actually become a pirate captain.
1: Really, actually? Really, actually. Oh, I'm so glad you're going second. We did not plan this. No. Oh, Tracy, give me hope. <laughs> history delivers.
0: I'm telling you, history delivers. This is like what we want Anne Bonnie to be. So this was recommended to me by one of our mythic level patrons, Maria. She suggested this and I jumped on it and claimed it for my own. And I'm so glad because I had known of this woman, but I didn't know the level of detail, and now I'm obsessed with this woman.
1: I knew of her also, and after my Anne Bonnie research, I was not ruling out that you were also going to just say, everything is a lie, so I'm glad that you might not be doing that to me. Nope.
0: So I'm going to start with a story, and my story is about Jing Shi, the pirate queen of the South China Sea. And then once I'm done with my story, I will go into the actual history. The government official stood in the center of the room with his hands behind his back, staring out the wide window as the sun slowly sank toward the horizon. He could see the amber light flashing off the dark waves of the sea. Though his tight posture might not show it, he was confident that these negotiations would go well. He felt relaxed, even. He knew that if he could make this work, he would be rewarded greatly, and known for the rest of history as the man that took down the terror of South China. After all, she was just a woman, and there was no world in which he could not outsmart a single woman. Just then, the doors opened, and Jingxi, the most notorious pirate in the world, confidently walked into the room. She was undeniably beautiful and had a presence that was equally powerful. Dark hair fell unrestrained around her oval face, and her lips were painted a deep blood red for the occasion. But if the official hesitated at the sight of her, he didn't show it. Behind the woman walked in... More women? And children? All of them had a similar look of fear, but it was not fear of the woman whom they followed. It was fear of him. He swallowed hard. It, it might have been fear for him. They kept looking towards the woman at the head of the group, as if waiting on her command so they could speak or move. At this, he did hesitate, and confusion swept across his face. What is the meaning of this, he demanded. Shi calmly walked into his stately office and sat herself down on the chair opposite his desk. What does it look like, she inquired, a negotiation. And for that, you need an entire entourage? He waved his hand uselessly towards the group of women and children before him as he spoke. No, she replied, standing up to face the man. For that, I need only myself. However, it is for my crew that I need insurance you won't do anything drastic. She looked towards the group, crowded together in the corner of the room. This is my insurance. The man's jaw clenched. "'You're despicable,' he spat towards her. "'Oh, my,' Jing-shi replied with a laugh. "'You seem quite agitated. "'I thought we came here for a peaceful negotiation for myself and my crew. "'But if I was mistaken, then I'm quite happy to see myself out and return to my business.'" Before she could turn to leave, the man shot out a hand. "'No, no, that, um, won't be necessary.'" He bowed. "'I apologize for my rude behavior,' he spoke through clenched jaws as he pointed back to the chair. "'Please sit.' "'If I could be so bold,' she said, sitting back in the chair as casually as if she were sitting down for a chat with an old friend, "'might I request something to drink?' The man stopped halfway towards sitting down. It wouldn't do to be impolite after his outburst, but he was eager to get these negotiations over with as quickly as possible. And would you like me to also bring your... companions drinks as well? Jingxi smiled, a beautiful smile that lit up her entire face. If you would be so kind... The man called out to a servant and requested drinks for the pirate and her one, two, three, four, 17 companions. Once all were served, Jing Shi sat across from the government official and began negotiations. The sun set low in the horizon, falling below the waterline. Eventually, candles were lit, dinner was brought, and drink after drink continued to be poured. Jingxi remained calm throughout it all, never once raising her voice or casting out insults. The man's face grew redder and redder by the hour. In the end, she and her fellow women and the children walked out of that room free as the birds that chirped in the morning sun. Jingxi came out of that room the obvious victor. No amount of twisting the results would convince anyone that she'd failed and the man knew it as he watched her walk away. He just allowed the most notorious and powerful pirate in the world to retire in wealth and freedom, and he, for the life of him, could not understand how that happened. But this is what happens when you underestimate the queen of the South China Seas, Shi. History forgets your name in order to remember hers.
1: Ooh. With a chilling last line, no less. (laughs) Tracy.
0: I had to add that line because I couldn't actually find his name. She, like, had all these negotiations with someone, and it's just, like, not talked about who he was.
1: Okay, so look me in the eyes and tell me that that story was based on actual historical truth, please. I'm a broken woman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It absolutely was. Yeah, so she... We'll get
0: to it, but, like, at a certain point, she did go into negotiations. She brought 17 women and children with her. Like, that. it was just that, like, she brought these people with her and, like, had negotiations. Really, it was for, like, weeks and months back and forth. But she did go in for an official negotiation and came out and, like, literally just retired from piracy. And I was like, cool, I'm completely absolved of all of my crimes.
1: Was the idea that if he didn't cooperate, she was just going to kill them all? Yeah, I don't know. I I wanted that to be ambiguous. That is so punk rock. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You are just restoring my faith in history. That story was so, so well told. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I, when I was listening to yours, was like, oh man, mine's not as like sassy and funny, but... Um, she's so cool. Probably because so.
1: your historical figure was definitively a badass, and my historical figure may or may not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's up in the air.
1: <laughs> it's up in the air. I mean, she was, but like maybe less. Yeah, in a different way.
0: So, similar to Anne Bonnie, getting accurate information on Jingxi can be really difficult, and little is known about her early life. In fact, Xing isn't even her own name. It just means widow of Cheng. <gasps> yeah. Do we, do we know her real name? We know a couple of different names she went by. So our hero was born with the name Shi Yang in 1775 in Guangdong province. So like I said, very little is known about her early life except that she was a sex worker nicknamed Shi Yang Ku. It said that she worked on a floating brothel known as a flower boat, which would sail along the coast and pick up customers. History says she worked her way up through the ranks at the brothel, possibly becoming a madam, but that part is a little bit, maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But she was okay. definitely really well respected, considered extremely beautiful and really cunning, was like known to be super smart, And able to kind of get what she wanted out of her customers.
1: I don't want to completely derail this, but during my research this week, I could not stop thinking about how these women that are touted as being so beautiful maintained that on ships with no modern anything. There's no
2: concealer.
1: There's no hair gel i'm lost without hair gel there's no none of those i mean we've got rouge coal you know that existed that's the thing though you barely got the fresh water that's got to
0: be rationed so already it's like you're not smelling like roses Right. whatever
1: these women are bringing to the table is just it's so good because it doesn't even need
0: mousse Mm -hmm.
1: or or I'm sure for her, like,
0: working on the flower bow, like, the floating brothel, like, taught her some tricks of the trade on if you're on water, here's how you look the part.
1: Uh, Okay. I I didn't mean to derail it, but I thought about that a lot.
0: I think about that a lot in general. I would not thrive in any other time period. I can't see anything. I'm blind as a bat. Right. You need hair gel to survive. Like, we
1: would just... (laughs) Yeah, I, I often also put that in terms of the zombie apocalypse. Like, if the world yeah. ends by zombies because it's more fun, think of all the things that go out the window.
0: Yeah, we got the scariest tiny taste of that in 2020, and I hated it. So back to pirates. Eventually, Shi caught the eye of notorious pirate Cheng the I who was following in his family's piracy tradition his power and reputation was so great that he gave himself the royal moniker of first (laughs) yeah (laughs) and no one denied it everyone's like yeah you're really powerful he was recognized by the emperor for like how prolific he was so perhaps it was her beauty or her cunning but something drew chang the first to Qingxi, and they married in 1801 when she was around 26 years old
1: Is that fairly late to marry at that time? It feels like it. For Anne Bonny, they were bandying about ages, like, 16 at some times. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, we got an established woman,
0: mid to late 20s, lived a full life. Now she's married to Chang the First. And such was her ability to persuade that she convinced her new, powerful husband to sign a contract which granted her 50% control and share of his enterprise. What? Mm Mm-hmm. She did not mess around. From the start, Jing Shi participated fully in her husband's piracy, and eventually they adopted someone named Cheng Po as their stepson. Keep that name in mind. He comes into play later. The couple formed a massive coalition of fleets into an alliance consisting of 70,000 men and 400 junk ships. By 1804, only three years after they married, their fleet was known as the Red Flag Fleet and was considered one of the most powerful pirate fleets in China.
1: There are nations with less naval power than that today. Yes,
0: they were extremely powerful. And she was totally completely involved in leading this with her husband who at 39 years old died unexpectedly in vietnam in 1807 only six years after the couple married it is believed he ended up on the wrong side of a tsunami and thus xing chi became a widow with no children from her first marriage except her stepson chung po
1: is there any controversy where people said she may have caused his death, or is it just cut and dry? No.
0: Cut and dry, he died in a tsunami. She had nothing to do with it. There was controversy around the fact that they never had kids together, and they were like, oh, it's, you know... They were trying to blame all sorts of things of, like, she was having an illegitimate relationship with Chung Po, her adopted stepson. She couldn't have kids. She... They were... yeah. Oh, get ready. So she immediately after her husband's death, began maneuvering her way into leadership by taking control of her late husband's fleet. In two short years, she controlled 800 large ships and 1,000 smaller ones and a crew of somewhere between 70 and 80,000 men and women. Where her husband had been brash and loud, Jingxi was quiet and calculating. She earned the trust of her lieutenants by sharing her power with them. She formed a sort of ad hoc government under her in which pirates were held to a strict code. According to Ancient Origins, any plunder that was seized had to be first presented to the fleet and registered before it could be distributed. Whichever ship captured the loot was entitled to retain 20% of its value, while the remaining 80% was placed into the fleet's collective fund. In order to maintain her power, get ready for this, this is where it gets a little bit iffy.
1: Okay.
0: She married Cheng Pao, the same Cheng Pao that was her adopted son. He was her late husband's successor and was a respected and charismatic leader among the crew. More importantly, he was easy for Jingxi to manipulate. Thus, through him, she was universally known to lead the entire fleet. Okay, sure. Yeah, it's not great.
1: I'm just interested in the politics going on that she had to marry the son that stood to inherit what she had anyway to keep him from inheriting it immediately.
0: Yeah, it was getting questionable. Like, it, it was to solidify that she would have it. There was nowhere else it could go, and he was easy to manipulate. It gave her, like, unilateral power. Okay. So she released a code that was to be displayed on each and every ship in a common area. This is the version that was written by Forgotten Princesses. We love Forgotten Princesses. Love Forgotten Princesses. I talk about them a little bit later. So good. And I specifically chose their version because you can find the list of rules that she had like, mm-hmm. on a bunch of different places on the internet. But this was just the funniest version one like this was just written in a funny way
1: forgotten princesses is so well written uh and in case you guys can't tell from the fact that elizabeth bathory was also on that list it's not just literal princesses it's really forgotten women in history okay so here are some of the um
0: codes of conduct that were on every ship jing Shi okays all attacks beforehand disobey and you're beheaded you give all loot to your superior who then distributes it afterwards disobey once you're severely beaten disobey twice you're dead don't desert your post or take sure leave without permission disobey once we cut off your ears since you clearly weren't using them (laughs) and then parade you around oh disobey twice you're dead rape a female captive You better believe that's a beheading. If you have consensual sex with a female captive, without permission, you're headless and she's taking a swim with a lead weight. If you want to have sex with a female prisoner, you must take her as your wife, remain faithful to her, treat her well, or we will take your head. Oh, and don't use the word plunder, instead say transferring shipment of goods. It just sounds nicer.
1: Oh, I love Love. this. She's everything. She's everything you want. She's everything you want. You mentioned that she was in control of a fleet of men and women. Were women also Mm -hmm. crew members of these ships, or did they have different roles? Are we talking laundry or are we talking pistols? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think it's across the board. That I couldn't find a lot of details on. It just said, it very much said men and women reported to her, and she treated women really well. So... It was not unheard of for them them to capture women. And if the woman agreed and the crew member agreed, they could marry. So I'm assuming those women tended to stay on the ships. Mm -hmm. Um, So she had really, really strict rules around what happened to captive prisoners, especially women. Women who were considered unattractive, weak, or pregnant were let go completely unharmed. Attractive women were held back for ransom, but were not to be harmed. If a pirate wished to take a captive for a wife, he was free to do so on the condition that she agreed that he cared for her and that he remained faithful to her. If he was unfaithful, unfaithfulness and rape were offenses that would result in immediate execution. Harsh punishments such as flogging, quartering, or beating were often doled out to pirates who broke the code.
1: Wow. That's... That's very cool and very contrary to the times. Yes. I, I wonder what it was like for captive women to be asked, do you want to marry this man and then you won't be a captive and the pirate queen will protect you? Or do you want to stay a captive? Yeah. It, you know, the, the question is not an even yes or no. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's not... It's not perfect. It's not a
0: perfect situation, but no, even that she had, like, you can't just be like, I want to marry that one. It's like, you want to marry her? She's got to say yes. And also, you cannot be ever unfaithful to her, and you have to treat her well and provide for her.
1: It's very admirable, and if we haven't emphasized it enough, child stories love to not talk about it, but piracy throughout all of time has relied heavily in the, on the slave trade. Piracy mm-hmm. is built on the slave trade. So very little chests and gold, very much slave trading. So it's it's interesting yes. to hear this story in which the rules are different.
0: Yeah, she didn't, it seems, really do a lot with slave trade. She did, uh, I'll talk about it more. Um, so under her rule, the Red Flag Fleet flourished. Try saying that five times fast. <laughs> They raided camps, river towns, and coastal villages along China, continuing to grow in power. Sometimes they would assume leadership of the villages they came to and would rule it in their own way. But nothing happened in the South China Sea without Jingxi knowing about it, and any ships had to pay her a tax in order to sail through unharmed. (laughs) Jingxi was named the Terror of South China, and while some claim she smuggled opium, Others say she stuck to looting, robbing, and taxing the villages. So that was how they made their money.
1: Are you kidding me? I I would never have believed you if you said a pirate in the South China Sea had nothing to do with opium. Like, that's it's shocking if it's true. She eventually, later in life, went out to help
0: China fight the British in the opium wars.
2: Wow. She
0: was like a an advisor. But... In 1809, the Chinese government, with the help of Portugal, tried to put an end to Ching operation. First, they tried to isolate her and kill her. But when that didn't work, they sent out boats filled with straw and explosives, and then they set those boats on fire. The Red Flag Fleet extinguished the flames, repaired the ships, and incorporated them into their fleet. They lost no ships only 40 out of their 70 to 80,000 men and the leader of the failed attack on them spiraled into shame
1: yes uh, yes <laughs> so she also clearly knows who to promote
0: yes yes she worked really hard to promote the right people and make sure they stayed loyal to her and it and it worked people from all of these other mini smaller fleets just were like take us and would like come in under her fleet. Like that's how it kept growing and growing and growing is they're like, she's doing great. We're just gonna, whoo, now we're part of this. So the government did not give up after this. They continued to be a thorn in Qing Shi's side. The emperor was so frustrated that he offered amnesty to all pirates under her fleet in an attempt to end her reign. <laughs> it was said that he was so offended that a woman held as much power as she did, and rivaled him. Again, that's one of those, it is said. But at the same time that he did this, the Portuguese Navy came back with a vengeance. They attacked her fleet with stronger ships and stronger weapons than before, causing real damage this time to the Red Flag Fleet. Jingxi, realizing there was no point in continuing as the government would just keep on attacking, she crafted a plan. She communicated with the government officials herself instead of through Cheng Pao, her husband. It's said that he just got too he got too heated, and so she took over. <laughs> the government wanted her, along with her top leaders, to kneel before them and admit defeat. Instead of doing that, she negotiated so that she and her crew were allowed to maintain their wealth, and 60 pirates were banished. 151 were exiled and 126 were executed. The other 16,981 crew were given amnesty as long as they surrendered their weapons.
1: That is a great deal. The numbers are fascinating. I can't believe they agreed to that. And also, it would be such a bummer to be one of those 126. I
0: don't think it was totally random like who was executed, I think it was like the ones who were really notoriously hard or cruel or committed other acts of violence or treason or something like that. Like There was extenuating circumstances that led to them being pushed to be executed. It wasn't just like, all right, pick 126, boom, 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 you die, now we're fine. (laughs) Okay. So she even negotiated that her husband, Cheng Pao, was given a government position, uh, as well as a few other pirates were given government positions. And in order to solve the kneeling issue, she and Cheng Pao kneeled before the government official and were declared a legitimate couple. Thus, she solved two problems in one. All they had to do was say thank you, and she appeared to have surrendered And her marriage was now recognized, allowing her to gain the status of wife of a government official.
1: How the heck did mysteriously unnamed government official dude mess up that bad?
0: Right? No idea. She just, like, talked her way out of this entire situation, got everything she wanted, and then just quietly gave up piracy. She was still active in her husband's work in the salt trade, and he was actually given, like, a hundred and something ships for the, his business in the salt trade. But then she gave birth to a son and a daughter, and then convinced Cheng Pao to use his government position to destroy their old pirate rivals. Oh. Just, like, typical housewife things.
1: Oh, I, what, what were they using as birth control during this time period? I need to know. I, these are the things I wonder about.
0: I'm sure there's someone somewhere who's done the history of that that's actually really interesting I do wonder
1: we do have a podcast so you know (laughs) (laughs) that entitles us to the knowledge I guess well I'm just saying we have the ability to not only look up anything we want but to talk about that thing
0: that's true that's true okay (laughs) so the last part of this is that in 1822 Cheng Pao died at sea and Jingxi moved the family to Macau and opened a gambling house. She continued working in the salt trade as well, and eventually in 1839, she even served as an advisor to help fight the British Navy during the First Opium War. In 1844, at 69 years old, Jingxi passed away peacefully in her sleep as a well-renowned and respected woman of wealth
1: and means i love her
0: right oh she's so she's everything you want anne bonnie to be and like she's so amazing
1: i always thought that her career as a powerful pirate queen involved more uh time as a madam and more sex workers Thank you so much for saying that. It leads into my giant rant. <laughs> we always do that. <laughs> okay.
0: Every single article wants to lead with Jing Shi being the, and I'm quoting here, prostitute pirate queen. Oh, no. Oh, my God. This irked me so much because she did so many things in her life and the thing that people use to grab your attention about her is her time as a sex worker which is why it seems like it was such a big part of her life when in reality while technically it was a part of her life it is far less relevant to her story than any of these titles would have you believe her time as a sex worker led her to meeting her first husband which eventually led to her becoming one of the most successful pirates of all time but it's as relevant to her story as the fact that she was born in Guangdong. And it merits the same one sentence in an article as her birthplace does, in my opinion.
1: Wow. Truly, I had basic knowledge of her, but I always thought that one of the ways she got and kept power was to be a madam of a large business in the Mm -hmm. sex work trade. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah,
0: Not at all. She grew up in the sex work industry, was really cunning, really beautiful, met her first husband, became a pirate, became a successful pirate, retired, then opened up a successful gambling house and worked in the salt trade and passed away as an old lady.
1: Not only that, but the little that I've read about her did make it seem as if she traded sex workers as if they were goods and in Mm. fact she had this very specific code about how we're going to treat women yeah it's
0: the exact opposite so shout out to rejected princesses for being one of the very few sources i found that in no way sensationalized her profession they simply and rightfully called her princess of the chinese seas And BonniePirate.com also just simply referred to her as one of the most successful female pirates in the history of the world, which is true, where the website The Way of Pirates just referred to her as Madam Ching, which was a name she went by. It was a respected title. All of these sources referenced the relevance of her early career and her success at it, I might add, while refusing to sensationalize it for views. So well done. That's the end of my rant. It just made me so angry when I was researching this.
1: Rants about piracy was sort of our our theme here.
2: Or I should say,
1: <laughs> rants about the stories that are told of women in piracy. Yes.
0: yes. It's not enough that she led seventy to 80,000 people successfully for years. She, she, she did a sex work once. So that's all she is now. She really ran a nation basically yeah (laughs) and then successfully negotiated the peaceful surrender and like saved thousands and thousands and thousands of people's lives and just let them like peacefully move on
1: which is smoking hot (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) so i'm obsessed with jingxi
1: i think she's amazing i would say that this episode has strong uh your personality is more attractive than the malarkey people write about you. <laughs>
0: like, Yeah. Although apparently she was extremely beautiful. Too. You can find pictures of her. I think they're legit pictures of her. Because, I mean, you know, there were cameras in, right. in the well, 1800s Yeah, and
1: just to point that out, she was, after the golden age of piracy, and after Anne Bonnie mm-hmm. passed away, so there's she had a much more interesting technology going on as far as uh, mm-hmm. as far as image capturing goes. Yes. Well, we did that. Thank you. Thank you for ending it on a positive note. I will defend Anne Bonnie to my death. I'm just really mad at everyone. Else. I'm more. I'm not mad at Anne Bonnie in
0: any way, shape, or no, form. No, she's great. I'm mad at that one dude. If you had just admitted it was an OC, that'd be a cool ass character.
1: Right. Oh, hey, speaking of cool characters, last week we talked about making each other into D&D characters, and it was delightful. Mm. Oh, it was so fun. Tracy, I spent so much time making you into a character. <laughs> <laughs> Yours was a
0: lot easier for me because it was so obvious to me that you were just an inquisitive rogue with a rapier who used her intelligence and cunning and persuasion instead of, like, actually dexterity to be sneaky.
1: Inquisitive rogues are my favorite class in the whole universe because they do not have to sneak to get sneak attack damage. (laughs) They're the best. It's (laughs) basically an inquisitive rogue is just, do I see through your defenses? Dice roll? Yes, I do. Now you die. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) I hope you're cool with this because I'm very passionate about Mm -hmm. it. I made Tracy into a wizard uh, because real life Tracy can do Anything as long as she has the things to do it. Like my curtain rods pitifully hanging from my ceiling <laughs> no, 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 I'm not slightly disagree. <laughs> no, no, cause cause we're talking wizard. You have a full alchemy situation going on with body scrubs. Um anyway, I made her <laughs> headcanon that she studies at the school of Google. Google. <laughs> Google. And uh, I gave you all these spells that are basically versions of get away from me. You're dead now. Um, yeah. yeah, you nailed that. And uh, <laughs> I think because it's my world and I can do what I want, I gave you a ton of magical items. Because uh, mm. I'm not messing around a, with that. Comp- a familiar. Oh, yeah, Lolas, you're familiar. C- components are just, ugh. Anyway. No, God, no, not worth it. Right, so... You're a wizard, but you always have the components in my world.
0: I <laughs> love it. That's, that's my crow mentality. You brought the, the crow hoarding shiny things part of my personality mm. into it.
1: And I also had you take the feat of a magic initiate in Warlock because you worship the Death Fairy. And uh, now you have Eldritch Blast. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Um,
1: we also decided
0: on our Discord that um, I need to collect a few more items of clothing where there's a devil or demon and a coffee on it and then i can successfully summon my warlock demon which is uh the demon devil of coffee
1: i did give you that spell thank you <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I did, i'm going oh, okay cool i do know her <laughs> oh my god shocking
0: <laughs> anyway love that journey for you thank you
1: oh, <laughs> tell me something good sorry let me do it okay. right let me do it right
0: okay oh wait tracy yeah. Tell me something
1: good. Okay.
0: <laughs> My something good is that I am i know I'm super far behind on this trend, but I just started watching Castlevania on Netflix.
1: I just started it. And I mean just started it.
0: So Oh, I'm literally – Jamie, Tim, and I – so Tim's re-watching it, and then Jamie and I are watching it for the first time, and we just finished episode three. Like, I've only finished episode three. But I could write, like, an entire essay on – the way they introduced the character of Trevor Belmont
1: and why that was mm.
0: effing brilliant.
1: Have you also started the what's the new Netflix animated series? It's God it's something with the Greek gods. Zeus? The yeah, one that's it's, Yes. Tim Tim's watched it, but I haven't seen it yet. I've only seen trailers, but it's it looks beautiful. Yeah.
0: I walked downstairs a couple times while Tim was watching it. It looked beautiful, it looked cool, but I gotta finish Castlevania first and <laughs> Oh, my God. The way they introduced Trevor Belmont as, like, the way they play with his character being bumbling and incredibly skilled. It reminds me of the—so Jackie Chan has a—I a, know this is a weird connection, but Jackie Chan has a belief that, like, your hero should never be completely infallible. And so in all of his fight scenes, he choreographed that, like, the main character would get a little bit of their ass kicked mm-hmm. to show, like, the humanity. And that's what they do with Trevor Belmont— So successfully, at least in the first three episodes. So no spoilers, but that's my something good. I'm really, really enjoying it.
1: That's one of the things that peeves me out about some superhero TV, film, comic, everything, Mm -hmm. where they seem infallible. As Hollywood is sort of moving away from that right now, but it has always irked me. I'm not interested in heroes, really, so... I'm excited. But then you can go too far to the anti-hero and then you get the whole 80s. You can never go too far to the anti-hero. I'm kidding. You can, obviously. But
0: yeah, honestly, I'll argue that because you can get too far in the anti-hero and too far in the grimdark. And I think I think DC is getting a little bit that way where it's like there needs to be a balance. So I love I, anything that can balance you like laughing one minute and being genuinely horrified the next minute is like my favorite thing. I think Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood nailed that dynamic. And I'm feeling that from Castlevania so far.
1: One of my favorite sort of tropey relationships is the anti-hero and the lawful, good, optimistic hero and how that goodness just slowly turns the anti-hero into a positive person. (laughs)
0: Yes, that Nightcrawler-Wolverine dynamic. I love Ooh, it. Oh,
1: interesting. Hadn't thought of that, but you are... Yes, yes, very much. Okay, so now... Mm. Hey, Rowan. Yes. Tell me something good. Okay, so this week, I was feeling uninspired. So I did a thing that I do where I pull out... I have some books that I go to that I really love. I have these two graphic novel series that I really love that just get my brain kind of worrying again. The series that I chose to pull out this time is called Bizengast. It's a Tokyo pop <laughs> graphic novel series. That okay. It's very spooky, gothic, kind of. A little Victorian, mm-hmm. a little modern, cute, depressing. Um, but I <laughs> have, I've had, since I was young, books one through five, and I just somehow did not know that they published the series to completion through book eight plus a paperback novel and I have never pushed order so fast I found book six and seven and then the novel used for no more than eight bucks and the internet will just not provide me volume eight it doesn't exist in a place I can buy it it's a project but I am so excited. I started tracking the package immediately after I bought it, knowing Mm -hmm. that that doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I feel that. I feel that energy. And because it's a series that I've loved since I was very young, things about it that are imperfect don't bother me because I've spent Mm -hmm. so much time with it. I've gotten over that. I can just enjoy it. Nostalgia goggles. Yeah. Yeah. And also, when you spend enough time with... A story and the characters feel very familiar then you can just let your headcanon be whatever it is and mm-hmm. so whatever else i've put onto those characters is just there now yes it it serves as really great inspiration and m alice legro i don't know how you pronounce her last name but she she gave me four more books to be excited <laughs> about and i'm so happy
0: And as with everything, you can find links to more information about those books on our recommendations page. So anything we talk about on the show, we do our best to put on the recommendations page. Any books, movies, music, recipes, podcasts that we recommend you on the show, you can find on our website on our recommendations page.
1: Mm -hmm. And if ever, and anytime you're looking for something and it's not there, just let us know. We will find it for you because we... Want you to support the creators that we love if you're into that. So reach out. We will make it easy for you. If nothing else, Tracy and I are very enthusiastic. So, (laughs) (laughs) if literally nothing else,
0: (laughs) that is extremely true.
1: Thank you all again so much for being enthusiastic with us about our sponsored series. This was really cool for us to do. So fun. Um, oh my god it was so much fun and we always really appreciate you being supportive of the folks that sponsor us you can always reach out to us on
0: our instagram we're usually pretty active on there we have our website willingandfable.com and we have a gmail willingandfable at gmail.com so if you ever want to contact us you can reach us there if you join our patreon at five dollars or more a month you get access to our discord
1: which tracy lives on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: I, I, yeah, I rarely let an hour go by that I'm not <laughs> messing around with the Discord. <laughs> so tons of ways to interact with us, and we, we truly love hearing from you guys. And if you haven't done so, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a review on iTunes or Spotify. It makes
1: a huge difference for us. Mm-hmm. And hey, if you have a significant other, a close friend whose phone that you touch, I don't know, grab that phone. Follow us on their app of choice because that'd be really cool if you just did that and then maybe they'd check us out and you know it's it's guerrilla warfare it is you know they'll think you're cool we'll think (laughs) you're cool everyone's
0: gonna be cool
1: (laughs) and speaking of cool don't forget if you do want to pick yourself up a present find presents for your loved ones at White Light Productions Seaglass Jewelry please 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 use the code that they made for us it is WF fall L one zero for 10% off. Uh, their website is Seaglass.us. That's S-E-A-G-L-A-S-S dot U-S. And should you have a question about our experience with their jewelry or just anything that we could possibly know about them, we are here for you. We're very passionate about them. We're a little baby podcast, so we get to be passionate about everyone we work with. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yes. With that.
2: All
0: right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend.
1: Mm, or tell your anti hero foe. And we'll see you soon, okay? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ashe, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes, or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of ancient myths, local legends, and stories with staying power.